0: Lord God, if we surrender all, then what we present before you now, along with the many other ways in which our money has come into the life of the church, are only really tokens. We give you our time. We give you back the gifts for your service that you have given us. And yes, we give our money the currency uh, in which we move. And we ask that you would use it for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do please sit. And find, if you would, Isaiah chapter 15. page 700, if you're using the Church Bibles. Well, how much do we collectively know, I wonder, about Moab? Um, Stephen Fry uh, wrote a book a little while ago called Moab is My Wash Pot, uh, which comes from one of the Psalms and over Philistia, if I remember rightly, I cast my shoe. Um, That's the completion of the quote, but that's about the only thing I could think of when I thought of Moab. Anyone other got any gripping pieces of information that that spring to their minds when we say Moab? Ruth, yes. Yep, Ruth, that's the other bit um, that we may think of. Um, Ruth was King David's granny. Um, uh, so, uh, she, she was from the, the land of Moab. Anyone else? Jonathan? I think the king of Moab asked Salem to put a curse on the Israelites. He did indeed, yes. Uh, the, yes, the, the well, well, okay, let's, let's weave that in for a moment. Um, right. Um, maps never come out particularly well on the screen, I'm afraid, but we'll do our best. You can see the Dead Sea. Yes, I know it works. You can see the red light, but it doesn't. Oh wait a minute! Oh no, no. Uh, is there anything happening up there? Am I missing this? No. Oh well. Right, to your Bibles and flick to the very back. Uh, we'll kind of do both of these. And if you've got a, a, um, a church Bible with maps in the back, then rejoice, you are blessed. If you haven't, try and find one. We'll leave the screen up, though, because I, uh, I want to do some um, kind of moving around. Love technology. Um, uh, if you uh, look to the uh, maps, if you've got them, uh, you'll find, come to a bit called the Division of Canaan. Um, And Moab is to the east of the Dead Sea. In the picture you've got there, uh, the east is divided, uh, about 40 miles long, the Dead Sea, and it's divided between Reuben and uh, then just south of it, Moab. But by the time we get to Isaiah, uh, the country of Moab has taken over uh, most of the territory. The tribe of Reuben was much diminished. Now, if you've been with us in the story so far in Isaiah, you'll remember that what's going on in the background is that Assyria is arming for war. Uh, The uh, country of Syria uh, is marching with the country of Judah, uh, sorry, with the country of Israel, the northern uh, of the two um, uh, Hebrew kingdoms, uh, and trying to put pressure on the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, so that they'll stand together against the king of Assyria when he comes. But nonetheless, the king of Assyria is coming. And he's, he, uh, apart from the things going on in Israel, Judah, he is going to put pressure on this eastern country of Moab. Now, last week, we had the great uh, state of Babylon being considered. And now we've got a mere minnow of a state being considered, Moab. Disaster is coming, and Moab is threatened. Now, most of the places that are mentioned at the beginning of chapter 15 are, that's the place, A-R, I didn't just say R. Um, uh, R, Nebo, Mediba. These are in the north. And then the places that are mentioned later on, in verses 5 through to 8, Heshbon Eliali, Jehaz, Zoar, particularly Zoar, is right at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Those are mentioned in the south. And what looks like it's happening is that a refugee crisis is happening. As pressure comes from Assyria... Which would have uh, invaded from the north. Uh, the Northerners in the state of Moab are being turned into refugees, and they're flying down to the south. They've got to cross the river Arnon, which was quite a considerable river, um, for as far as they would have been concerned. Uh, and they would get to the, as it were, the bottom of the, re- the Dead Sea, and go, okay, where do we go now? They've fled from the north to the south, and then the Southerners themselves are fleeing where do we go now? And they really had two choices. They could carry on going south into the country of Edom, or they could work their way round the Dead Sea and go into the territory of Judah, which was not at this point in the same state of crisis as they are. But you catch from the beginning of chapter 15 the terribly, the grievous state of this refugee movement. Uh, just the words, Just you could, you could extract the verbs, weep, wails, wail, weeping, cry, cry out, faint, cries out, weeping, lament, outcry, lamentation. There's this terrible pouring out of grief as they uh, move from the north down to the south. And as they try and work out, well, what are we going to do? Uh, even the army, verse fa- uh, f- second part of verse four, even the army is massively stressed. The armed men of Moab cry out and their hearts are faint. There's environmental disaster. Uh, verse six, the waters of Nimrim are dried up. You've got to love a, a, a river called Nimrim. You won't see it on the map because it was an occasional seasonal river. Probably doesn't sound any more weird if you come from there than when some does, uh, to people who live in Norwich. Um, but uh, the, the, the Nimrim was uh, kind of between the Arnon, uh, which is halfway up uh, the Dead Sea, and the Zered, which is down at the south of it. It was originally a cattle territory. Um, if you look through um, the book of Numbers and the book of Joshua, uh, you'll see that it was settled by those who loved to grow uh, and uh, raise cattle, because it was good grass territory. So it depended on reliable rainfall. But possibly because there were lots now of cattle that had come down with the refugees, so that uh, even the, the, the waters that were around, uh, had, they were over, um, overused. And what supplies of grass they had uh, was uh, uh, destroyed and withered. There's mourning in movement. There's this army that's useless. We have the flight of refugees. We have environmental disaster. I mean, it's today, really. I didn't offer my bit of news at the beginning of the service, but the bit that struck me was that there are now one million refugees from Syria. There's one million people who are outside their own country, Cold this time of year. Half of that million, one half million people are the children. Homeless, stateless, cold. I suppose it was just the same. There is a terrible tone of sorrow that runs through chapter 15. And yet the reality is that this is a judgment. Verse 8, their outcry echoes along the border of Moab, their wailing reaches as far as Eglayim, their lamentation as far as 'er Beer-Elim. those are the kind of north and south border towns, Diamond's waters, and if you see the note there, it's also uh, Dibon, which seems to be the sort of capital, and it's, um, uh, uh, you can see it up there, uh, Dibon, just north of the Arnon River. Diamond's waters are full of blood, but I will bring still more upon Dibon. Uh, a lion upon the fugitives of Moab. There are these people. They've got all the stress and crisis that goes with being refugees. And it's now going to be as though God himself is a lion bringing further judgment upon those who remain in the land. We're going to find out in a few minutes what it is about Moab that particularly attracts that kind of judgment from God. But one of the things we have to face if we take this at all seriously is just the notion that we almost never hear of these days, very 18th century, the notion of providence. Uh, This uh, morning, for Mothering Sunday, I reminded those who'd who'd come of the story of Susanna Wesley. Uh, She was uh, a tremendous mother. Uh, She prayed for her children and so busy was her life that she would put her apron over her head to say to them, please don't disturb me right now because I'm praying to God. She would read with each one of them day by day. They had no formal education. But from that family, of course, came uh, John and Charles and Samuel Wesley. But one of the things that was true also for Susanna Wesley was that she had 19 children, nine of whom died when they were infants. Infants one of whom was smothered accidentally by a maid. Now, in in those days, without the health care that we know about, what were they going to say about disaster? We are so confident of our control over our world that we rarely now look for the hand of God. These refugees would not quickly or easily have reached for that as an explanation. And yet we have to face the fact that even though this is great, disastrous, a, a, a greatly uh, disastrous situation, as far as the prophet Isaiah is concerned, it is God that lies behind it. I don't think we have, if we take seriously the notion of God lying behind things, I don't think we have uh, to perform some sort of peculiar spiritual or emotional gymnastics to pretend that everything is wonderful when it isn't. But at the same time, Scripture does urge us to say of circumstances that come our way, about which we are powerless, if I treat it as from the hand of God, there will be no better way to react to it. Now, in a congregation of any size, there will be those who've had a great week and those who've had a terrible week. And if you, are, if you haven't had a terrible week this week, great, but you know you have them from time to time. We are encouraged in Scripture to say, Uh, not let's pretend it's great when it isn't, but to receive those circumstances as from the hand of God and then to respond to them appropriately. If they're good, then you praise him appropriately. If they're dreadful, then you weep before him appropriately and react as seems best. We could do worse than get back to an old-fashioned sense of providence of God's activity, standing behind our circumstances. Well, let's get back to our refugees. We're facing these two options. They can go further south to the territory of Edom, and if you do have the the church Bibles, um, how far do you have to look for Edom? Uh, If you go to the first of the maps, you'll see Edom there, well down below Moab. Or they can round the corner to Judah, and they choose Judah. Well, that's something. Of the options in front of them, they chose the right one. And what they do is they, they say to themselves, well, um, let's um, send an offering uh, to the king in Judah. So verse 1 of 16, send lambs as tribute to the ruler of the land. Look at the ironies of this. The first uh, chapter, chapter 15, ends with God as a lion in judgment, and then the beginning of 16, because there are no chapter divisions in the original, we're reminded, send lambs as tribute to the ruler of the land from Selah. That's way down south, way off the map that you've got in front of you, from Selah, across the desert to the Mount of the Daughter of Zion. And this would have been hard work. This is going to be difficult to show you without a, a zapper, but I will do my best. Because the territory, if you're round the corner of the Dead Sea, you're going to come across mountains. And the only way to deal with those mountains is actually, you can see that line of uh, fortresses that look like little black spots. Those are fortresses on the mountains. You actually have to go round down southwest and then back up north to get to Jerusalem. You can see where Jericho is on that map. Well, Jerusalem is only ever so slightly south uh, and just off the map to the west. It's kind of at the top of the Dead Sea. But it was a long way to go if you were going to take lambs from Selah all the way around the mountains to Jerusalem. It needed serious effort. You were serious if this is what you're proposing. Take lambs as tribute across the desert to the mount of the daughter of Zion. They know the one place to go. Let's go to Zion. We won't even, we can't bear, because um, as uh, Jonathan reminded us, Moab existed in tension uh, with Judah. They were often in conflict, though they they were kind of cousins uh, going way back. They were in terrible conflict, and they can't even bear to say the king's name. They say, to the ruler of the land, let us send tributes. Uh, they, uh, uh, and then there's this picture in verse 2, like fluttering birds pushed from the nest, so are the women of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Well, you can see where the Arnon River is, halfway down on the east of the, the Dead Sea. And it's always women, especially young women, who are, the, who are placed in the worst situation by refugee crisis. Like fluttering birds, just not knowing what to do. No one helping them. That's the crisis that they're going to take with them and say, look, look, uh, 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 king uh, king in Zion, this is the crisis we're facing. Give us counsel, verse 3. Render a decision. Make your shadow like night at high noon. Protect us from the burning sun. Hide the fugitives. Don't betray the refugees. Let the Moabite fugitives stay with you. Be their shelter from the destroyer. And from the mouth, we assume, of the king, on his throne in Zion comes assurance. The oppressor will come to an end and destruction will cease. The aggressor will vanish from the land. We don't know whether that's what the king thought or whether those are words that Isaiah is putting into his mouth because Isaiah knew that this was the case. Isaiah didn't know how it would be achieved politically, but he knew that the threat from Assyria would just vanish like a fog. So it proved later for them. But verse 5: In love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it. One from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. How different that is from the tone that's been set through verse 15 with all this crying and lamentation. In love, a throne will be established. It is going to be okay, first of all, the aggressor will vanish. And secondly, there is the promise here of a different throne from the ones you've known. And then, verse 6, we are straight back into judgment. And now we do hear of the reason why Moab attracts the judgment of God. It is for their pride and arrogance and conceit. Her pride and her insolence, but her boasts are empty. I guess it came because it was a relatively wealthy, small state because it did have this uh, green, lush territory with lots of cattle, and clearly they were able to grow uh, vineyards. Indeed, the whole growth of the country is uh, because it it spread out. It was bigger than it was originally given to be. But verse 8, the rulers of the nations have trampled down the choicest vines which once reached Jazer and spread towards the desert. It's up there, but I'm not going to find it for you. Their shoots spread out and went as far as the sea. So I weep as Jazer weeps for the vines of Sigma, O oh, Heshbon, O oh, Eliale, I drench you with tears. The shouts of joy over your ripened fruit and over your harvests have been stilled. The orchards are no more. It, it looks like the order of events was this. They were pressured. They fled. They went to Jerusalem. They said, Help us. And Jerusalem said in reply, We will. But listen. It's not as bad as it looks to you now, because actually the aggressor is going to disappear. And there will be a throne in this territory, again, of love and faithfulness. Why would you say that if you didn't want Moab to come under it? What the, what the Jerusalemites meant was, come under this shelter of this throne to be of love and faithfulness. And Moab, astonishingly, this is the point of the... Of the Two chapters, Moab looked at that gospel promise of good news, looked at it in the face and said, No, thank you. We have run to you for shelter, and you have offered shelter, but we cannot, when it comes to it, bring ourselves to set ourselves under your kings. And so it will all end in unmitigated disaster. Verse 13 and 14 within three years, as a servant bound by contract would count them. In other words, it's going to come bang, bang, precisely. Moab's splendor and all her many people will be despised and her survivors will be very few and feeble. And so it proved. Moab was wiped out. Why? Why would you do that? Why, if you are desperate and fleeing to shelter... And those responsible for the shelter say, yes, we will take you in. But you realize that means you, you then become part of our house. Why would you then turn around and say, oh, well, in that case, I don't want to think. Thank you very much. I, I want to go back to my desperation. Well, why did Chris Hewn and Vicky Price conspire to pervert the course of justice? That's been one of the stories as we noted this week, perverting the cause of, course of justice. Why would anyone seek to do that? Because something's gone wrong, something pretty deep has gone wrong. And that's what pride is like. It can be hard to know what to do with these two chapters, because Moab, who cares about Moab, really? But these are refugees, and they connect with our world where we still have refugees, and actually the reality is too few of us care about them either. It's a warning to us about how pride actually works, not then, but in your heart and mine. Moab was a minnow. It was tiny. It was no Babylon with a great pride in the building works of Babylon. But the pride of the minnow is sometimes as dangerous as the pride of the mighty. We may not be among the... We may not be the Babylons. We may not be the great ones in the land. We may be minnows. But the pride that runs through our hearts can be as dangerous. And that explains... It's a bit like... It's two chapters taken uh, uh, to explain things that Jesus explained. It's like the parable of the sower, where he says, look, you can spread your uh, seed, but it's not going to be that everyone comes flocking because you've, oh, isn't that terrific, you've spread the seed, now everyone's going to come running. No, they don't. Uh, The the seed doesn't all sprout up magnificently, 30, 60, and 100 fold. It only happens for a tiny proportion, because actually it goes wrong somewhere in other ways, in other places. Or the story of the ten lepers, where he heals ten, but only one comes back to thank him. What about the other nine? The mere fact that Jesus is good does not produce obedience in every heart. So this, amongst other things, explains what goes on. When we long to live lives that witness to Christ, when we take the opportunities, probably fewer than we think we should, but where we take the opportunities to speak of Jesus. And we think we've made this heroic effort, so surely because we've made that heroic effort, God has to be nice to us by making it work. But actually, people don't come flocking to Jesus. Narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way, said Jesus. It explains what goes on in the world, And so, two things to take away. It's it's a big leap, but let's face it, it's there in this throne to be established. It's a big leap from Moab to Jesus, but it's there because of that throne. Jesus really is the answer. He is the messianic hope of love and faithfulness and justice and righteousness. It's real and it's universal. Because Israel, even here in this story, is saying, Moab, we will welcome you if you will but have us. And so be confident that wherever you come from, because it is a universal truth, it's true for you and for everyone. Be confident when you uh, appreciate it for yourself and be confident when you speak it for others. But then, secondly, do not expect that that will lead to a universal welcome. Don't be surprised But equally from the book of Isaiah and the story of Moab, don't be hard-hearted either. When people do not respond because of their pride, grieve over it, weep over it, pray for it. As Isaiah prayed, even though he knew the judgment was from God, Jesus really is the answer, but it doesn't lead to universal welcome. Let's pray. Lord God, you know the pride of our own hearts. You know the ways in which uh, we have in the past kept you at bay. And Maybe that's true for some of us even tonight. Break down our pride, we pray. Use the circumstances of life to speak to us of the judgment that would destroy our pride and of the love and faithfulness that longs to see Jesus Christ enthroned in every life. For we ask it in his name. Amen.